This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. About whether or not your business is an easy target for financial fraud. Cheryl learned the hard way about employee fraud. Her company, Obermiller Construction Services, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, possibly even a million, to an accountant who's now serving time in prison. The experience has led Obermiller to become an outspoken educator on the dangers of embezzlement and workplace theft. She's the author of a forthcoming book that helps business owners combat thieves and cheats. And the good news is that it's very easy to stop the most common kinds of scams. And today she's with us to talk about her experience as well as some of the different tips and techniques, the processes that you can put in place in your business right now as you're listening to the show even, as soon as you you, uh, dial out this afternoon, you can put these into place if they are not already to prevent you from experiencing the things that Cheryl experienced and that many, many business owners across the country experience every year. It's a lot more common than you think. Welcome to the show today, Cheryl. Thanks so much for having me, Kelly. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Such an important message to get out there. So you actually were a victim of an embezzlement, of an embezzler. Tell us a little bit about your story and how it came to light. How did you discover that this was happening? Well, first, I had hired a young accountant that was extremely highly recommended by a friend of mine who is a CPA and who had impeccable references. So I did my due diligence, this idea that, you know, if you don't hire people who have been in jail, you won't be a victim of theft is is really not accurate at all. And in my case, I hired this young woman who was a tremendous accountant and who was everything that I was not. She was incredibly organized and loved organizing office things and putting things together and did beautiful reports and was just truly my right-hand assistant in everything. And because she was so anxious to take on additional responsibilities, she wound up having access to a lot of different sensitive areas of the company that allowed her to steal and to cover it up. What finally happened... um, I hired this young woman in August of 2001, and what I did not know was that in December of 2001, she forged her first check 
And she went on right on doing that for the next eight years. On wow. January 7th, 2010, I got um, a piece of extremely nasty hate mail from the IRS saying that because I had not paid tens of thousands of dollars in taxes and had ignored oh. all of their mail that they were now going to come and do some really nasty things to me. And my accountant on that particular day was home. She had been snowed in. And I called her and said, my goodness, what, what is all of this about? And she said, well, I have, I have no idea. It's just silly. Don't worry about it. I'll call them tomorrow. And I said, well, they're threatening to take money out of my bank account, so I think I'll call them myself. I just thought I'd see if you had any idea of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Once I got on the phone with the IRS, it became clear that many, many tax payments had not been made and that there was some real discrepancy with what they were telling me and what my accountant was telling me. And so finally, I went in and, and started going through the accounting office, and thus came the name of my book. For the first time, I went through my accountant's drawers, and I found in the very back of a drawer a stack of notices from the IRS that my taxes were unpaid. And so clearly she had been lying to me, and I I had no idea what to think. But I called my bank. This was, you know, getting into early evening. I had my banker's cell phone number and said, I want you to put a hold on my account. Any any checks that come in, hold them. I don't know what's going on, but clearly Mm -hmm. I have a problem. I don't want you to pay anything until you talk to me. The next morning on my way into the office, I got a phone call that two checks had been presented overnight. One was a routine check for utilities. The other was a check to my accountant, and I was told it had been signed by me on Tuesday. I explained I had been completely out of the office on Tuesday and hadn't signed a check, and they said, well, it was from you. And I said, well, how much was it? They said, (laughs) $3,760. And I said, I I didn't I didn't write this check. Please pull my signature card. In 30 seconds, I had the branch manager on the phone saying, this is not your signature. We're pulling all of your records. We're calling the downtown bank to pull archived storage. I will talk to you shortly. And within two hours, just with the records they'd been able to pull up over the last few months at the local bank, I had over $27,000 worth of forged checks on my desk. And that was the tip of the iceberg. Wow. So that's how it was. And, you know, that's very typical. Most embezzlements are discovered by accident. And that, in in your case, it was a snow day. I mean, the weather. (laughs) Who knows how much longer this could have gone on. Well, not long because the IRS was going to make sure that it didn't continue much longer. But this is one of the one of the big red flags for embezzlement. If you have an employee who never takes time off, you can't get them to take vacation days, they come when they're sick, and you think that just makes them the best employee that you've got, it may mean that they don't want to be out of the office, that if they're out of the office, something like this may happen. A phone call or a piece of mail may come in, or you may have to go get into the computer or get into the drawers for something, and they will be discovered. And it's a good fear. It's a legitimate fear because that is frequently how embezzlement is discovered. And as I said in the introduction, this is not uncommon, particularly among small businesses and not-for-profits. Can you give us any indication of how widespread this is? Well, there are a couple of things that you should consider. One, small businesses considered under 100 employees. So that really incorporates a lot of businesses that, you know, you and I would consider fairly good-sized businesses. And yet a business with under 100 employees is literally, statistically, 100 times more likely to be embezzled than a larger company. 
And what's interesting about that is most of us think of embezzlement as being Bernie Madoff, you know, with the mm-hmm. billions of dollars or, or the, whoever the computer hacker was that got into the Credit Suisse the big Swiss bank and got an eighth of a cent out of all of the accounts and got billions of dollars. And that's mm-hmm. those things make the headlines because they're abnormal. The, if you want to really scare yourself, go on to Google, Google embezzlement 2012 and start looking at how many tens of thousands of hits come up. It's unbelievable. So small businesses are very likely to be the victims of financial fraud. One study indicates that at least one-third of all small business failures are the direct result of employee fraud. This is like not knowing that cigarettes are bad for you, for small business owners not to realize the risk that embezzlement poses to their businesses. So so one-third of all small business failures are attributed to the financial fraud. What is an average loss? Can you give us an idea? I mean, yours was, uh, by the time all was said and done, around right around a million dollars. But was, is that pretty normal? Uh, that actually is, is pretty normal. Depending on what study you look at, the average embezzlement goes on for around four and a half years and brings in somewhere between $750,000 and $1 million. Now, you balance that out with the statistic that only about 2 to 3% of embezzlers are ever actually apprehended, prosecuted, and serve prison time. So what you're looking at is a situation where it may be very, very easy for someone to get up to a million dollars in tax-free money over a four- to five-year period with only a 2 to 3% chance that there will be any legal consequences. Those are pretty good odds. That's way better than the lottery. Well, why? Why are the odds so low? Why only two to three percent are ever apprehended and prosecuted? I mean, I mean, small well, businesses—they know who their accountants are. Well, I think you have a couple of things going on. One is, and I had to look at this too. You know, my embezzler nearly cost me everything I had. Nearly destroyed sure. me. And so, when she was sentenced to thirty-three months, and even at thirty-three months, they automatically take ten percent off the top for good behavior. So unless she actually, you know, gets into a knife fight or something with one of the other accountants in jail, then you know she will only serve thirty months. I, I, they look at it as a victimless crime, you know, and it, and it is a nonviolent offense. And as I said, that was difficult for me because I thought. She embezzled for eight years. Why couldn't she at least serve eight years in jail? But if you're looking at the cost of housing criminals and the fact that, you know, I would rather have serial rapists and killers in prison than embezzlers, um, you know, that at least Mm -hmm. makes some sense. But culturally, it's just considered to be a victimless crime. Nobody actually bleeds. And so the idea that you destroy employment, you destroy jobs, you destroy businesses, you cost people their homes is not taken as seriously. And I don't know why. I would have gotten more time in jail if I had gone into Quick Trip with a banana in my pocket and made the guy give me 50 bucks out of the cash <laughs> register mm-hmm. than my embezzler got for an eight-year deliberate crime that you know was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So, so is it the accountant or the bookkeeper who typically is the the person responsible for most of the embezzlements? Well, somewhere around 75% of the time, when you're talking about financial fraud, it is the bookkeeper or the accountant. Now, this makes, makes accountants yeah. squirm, and they get very defensive. But, I mean, think about it. it you know, 
that they're where the money is. It's not that accountants are an unscrupulous bunch. It's that if people are going to steal money, it needs to be people who are where the money is available. That's typically an accountant. So what's the com- most common embezzlement scheme that you're aware of? What what is how do, what kind of a uh, process does it usually follow? Well, here are the here are the most common um causes of embezzlement. And this is again, it's opposite of what we think. Everyone's out buying all sorts of electronic fraud protection and I know my husband and I like to go to Germany and I bought a special metal wallet to put my credit cards in so nobody could have one of those little machines and read my passport and, and yet while we're doing all that, what's happening back at the office is that people are forging our checks. And year mm-hmm. after year that's typically the number one way that um businesses experience huge financial fraud. Um forge checks electronic deposits, uh, misuse of office debit or credit cards. Um, those are the by far the most common things. And then billing schemes where people, you'll have an employee who has the ability to pay bills, will set up a false company and then submit bills to the company and pay them. Those tend to be very expensive schemes, but they're, that's only about 16% of the cases. Most of the cases, in fact, I think um, about 65% of all cases are either um, forged checks or electronic fraud, meaning just they're paying their credit cards online through your bank account or they're electronically transferring money into their own accounts. It's extremely, extremely simple, which is good. It also means it's that simple to to catch. We just don't know how to, we just don't know how to monitor it. Right. And and so do these embezzlements start with somebody who perhaps is feeling a bit of a financial crunch at home and they think, oh, I'm just going to do it this one time to get through this one particular, you know, bad uh, period of of our, our my personal finances and then they find it's easy to do so they keep doing it? Or what are, what are the motivating factors and so that perhaps business owners can watch out for anything like that that might be happening with an employee? Well, they say that there, there's a, a theory in fraud study, which I had become an expert in, which is not something I really ever thought I would have any interest <laughs> in at all, sure. but I've become very interested in it. But one of the, one of the found, foundation stones of that is called the fraud triangle. And when you have these three components of the fraud triangle in place, you have a recipe for ongoing fraud. The first is opportunity. You have, you know, people have a, a clear, easy opportunity. They know that you aren't monitoring things closely they see that maybe they made a mistake and gosh you never caught it and so they see that they could actually do something like that deliberately um or um and then the second component is there is a motivation or pressure now it used to be that the most common cause the reason that people committed fraud was some sort of a real financial need but that has really changed and it's much less common now the 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 primary motivating factor is greed you know people really? just steal money because they want your stuff and i think we're bombarded with you must have this this these things are necessary for you to be happy these these um you know charge card moments are priceless and so we're fed a steady diet of how critical to our happiness is it is to have a lot of stuff that maybe we can't afford. And so the, the, it seems now that the most common motivating factor is simply greed, which is really sad. 
and that was hard for me because you could kind of at least wrap your head around the idea that someone might be desperate enough if their child had cancer and they couldn't pay for the medication and they were going to lose their home. You can kind of get around that. But as part of the investigation, I went through financial records with the FBI, and the kind of expenditures that I saw were fake fingernails, out to eat almost every night, the movies, um, you know, just – just extravagances, nothing that anybody needed. And right. so that, that seems to be very common, which is sad. Well, but at the same time, uh, you know, you think, okay, she's getting away with a million dollars over an eight-year period. You might see a spike in uh, her lifestyle in terms of lavishness that would send off warning bells like, you know, buying new boats or, you know, really big-ticket items. But in your case, like you said, um, was yeah, nothing. it's lavish. It's lavish, but it's going out to eat every night. It's fake fingernails, so it's not. Right. I mean, it's it's maybe beyond what most people do uh, to eat out every night, but it's not extremely lavish that would send up warning bells to you or to her own family even. So, well, I, I feel pretty confident that at least her husband knew about this because he was an accountant also, and it would be mm-hmm. and she was putting the money directly into a joint a jointly held bank account. So I think it would be pretty hard for him not to know, but I can't I can't say that for sure. But mm-hmm. she drove the same car most virtually the entire time that she lived with me. She replaced her car about 2 months before we caught the embezzlement. But again, if someone's driven a car, the same car for 7 or 8 years and they replace it with an equivalent car that's not a luxury item, does that set off a red flag for you? It it didn't for me. So there are many things that people can do that you will never see. I did not see her wearing expensive jewelry, expensive clothing. Her wardrobe was modest. As I said, she drove the same car. You know, she did not do anything that caught my attention at all as being extravagant. But if, you know, you don't follow your employees around, how do you know how often they go out to dinner? And would that tip you off anyway? Right. Yeah, with our with the lifestyles that people lead these days, that's really not that uncommon. So, and the best thing is not to watch your accountant's lifestyle; it's to watch your checking account. Yes, yes, <laughs> and we'll get into some of those things. One, and before we do that, though, I wanted to go back to that two to three percent statistic that you gave about, um, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that actually go to jail. Well, that would also indicate that many of these um, fraud crimes go unreported, and I don't know if it's because the amount is now in your case it was uh you know pretty close to a million dollars but i imagine there's a lot of smaller numbers that are maybe in the tens of thousands of dollars that the business owner just for whatever reason doesn't report them why why do so many business owners not report these crimes we have a couple of things going on with lack of prosecution the first is it's embarrassing i cannot tell you how humiliating it was for me initially to once I saw how simple it was, I felt like a complete idiot. And to, mm. to think that this woman could have been stealing my checks and writing them and falsifying my bank account so that if I looked at the QuickBooks register, I saw something entirely different than what was actually going on, but I didn't know how to monitor her work. And that's one of the keys here. I did not understand that I did not have to become an accountant to be 
um, able to monitor an accountant. So that's one of the big things. So, but you know, not only do business owners feel stupid that it happened, they're afraid that it will damage their credit ratings. They don't want their clients to know. Imagine being mm-hmm. in a financial sector business and and saying, well, by the way, we got embezzled. It people yeah. are really afraid of that it will continue to damage their business. The other reason that you don't see a lot of it prosecuted is law enforcement is very frequently unable, unwilling to take cases that are e that are either they deem too small to be worth their attention you know a 35 or 40 or 80,000 dollar investment or embezzlement to um, a very overworked law enforcement agency just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like that big of a deal but i mean $80,000 or even $10,000 may may put a small business entirely out of business and right. um and also, one of the things you find is that an embezzled business is on financially shaky ground. And a lot of times law enforcement will come in and say, we have no one available to come in and put this case together. You will have to hire a CPA. You will have to compile all the evidence. You will have to put everything together in a form that our investigators can take this established information, basically have an audit of your company, Give it to law enforcement, and then they will proceed with the case. But a a terribly damaged business may not have the money to do that. For me, on a business my size, to hire a full-charge auditor would have been in the $50,000 range. You can't do that if you've just lost all your money. So there are several reasons that it's that enforcement, you know, that it's just not prosecuted. Plus, um, some people just don't want to bother. You know, they know that their company may be dragged through the mud. They uh, embezzlers sometimes are very slick about saying, "Well, if you if you prosecute me for this, I'm going to." I actually had one business say we did not really do anything because the the woman involved said she would um, turn around and file sexual harassment charges against us on stuff that everybody knew she was making up, but that she would do her best to damage us also. So, I mean, it's just difficult. I'll tell you, the the better course of valor is just prevent it. Yeah. Once you catch it, it's a no-win. You won't get your money back. Your business credibility can be damaged. People's lives are ruined. Just prevent it. Yeah, and unfortunately, when those go unprosecuted, though, that person is free to go right down to the next business and start the scheme all over again. You're uh, right. Yeah, let's talk about some of those ways to to prevent it. I know that you have three that you just pound out, that you say you can put these into place now and let's just get to it. What are those three? Okay, the the top three, and this is, and it's not limited to these three. Mm-hmm. And in my book, My Accountant Stores, I go through a number of different systems that you can implement very easily, and that are all interrelated. So each one backs up the next and backs up the next, so that you are preventing and you are detecting in a very comprehensive way. But the three most simple things any business owner can start with are these: always get your own mail. And this was such a shock to me, and, and I cannot tell you how embarrassing it was for me to sit across my desk from an FBI agent who was incidentally was wonderful. He got us through this emotionally. I have no complaint about him. But I said, well, why wouldn't you let the woman in the front office get the mail? And he put his glasses down on his nose and said, well, because they cannot pay your taxes and then steal all of the tax notices. And I said, oh, well, I guess I guess that would be one. And and that's very 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 common. Think of what comes in your mail, your your checks from people, your invoices. You need to monitor everything that comes into your business and everything that goes out. You should you should post your own mail also, so no one can open an envelope, take a check, and alter it. 
So take charge of your own mail, first and foremost. Completely the opposite of what business owners think. We think, I'm the president. Why should I have to deal with the mail? That's what I pay the little people for. You know, people get that attitude. But it's a critical function that only the owner of the company should handle. The second thing is to control. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, what the second thing is just as simple as the first. And so what is that? The, control your own checks. Um, in fact, I have, if you go to um, my uh, my author page at myaccountantstores.com, you'll see there's a, a funny picture of me, one of my men took some time ago, of me in our semi-truck holding a gun. And it was a joke picture, but I put it up there because what I always tell people is, before I got embezzled, I used to keep my guns in the gun safe and my checks in the desk drawer. Now that I've lost a million bucks, I keep my checks in the gun safe and my gun in the desk drawer, and I feel much better. Um, and I don't want people to think I'm, I'm anxious to shoot people, but the point is simply right. a matter of security. Lock your checks up. No one should have right. access to your checks, and you should know every single check that is removed from your check stock and what's going to happen to it, and you should be able to verify that. Very, go, very and, simple. Yeah. And in your book, you go into greater detail about a system mm-hmm. where you can monitor your and control your checks that way, Right. Completely simple processes of exactly how you track your checks. And I will tell you, if I had had this system when before I was embezzled, if I had done the simple things that I'm telling you to do, which will take you 15 to 20 minutes a day for an average business, the time that I spent doing that would have been worth over $2,500 per hour to my company. So if right. you think looking at your checks is boring, could you do it for 2500 bucks an hour? Because I've decided that I can. So, yes. the third thing, yeah, what is the third thing? The third thing is be in charge of your taxes. Know when your taxes, when your tax filings are to go in. You should have a list of these things. You need to know how to confirm that your tax payments have not only been made, but they've been received. In fact, the IRS has case law, court findings establishing that for a business owner not to consistently be confirming that their taxes were made and received by the IRS in the correct amount and on the correct date is an act of business negligence so egregious that full enforcement of criminal penalties is applicable, meaning that if if your accountant steals your tax money, they have the right to, to fine you and penalize you in the same way as they would if they caught you laundering money. It's considered wow. that serious by the IRS. And I cannot tell you what a happy bunch of people they are. They tormented me for two years, and all I did was be um, inattentive enough to be the victim of a federal crime. They don't right. care. Yeah. They, and I believe uh, you, you told me somewhere along the line, it doesn't matter if you have a payroll service uh, because this can still happen to you. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of companies think, oh, I'm safe. I've got a payroll service. They're making the payments for me. But evidently, from what you told me, that's not necessarily good enough. It isn't because all it it means of a payroll service, and there are many, many very good payroll services, but you need to understand payroll services in most states are not even required to be bonded. So if they do steal all of your tax money, which happens, they don't, you don't have any way to recover that, and you will still owe all that money you think you paid. You'll still owe all that money to the Internal Revenue Service plus applicable penalties. So you have to understand that you need to go to the source. If you are paying your taxes online, you need to have all of your logon information, and you need to get on your own IRS account very regularly, at least once a month, 
and confirm that they have actually received all of your payments. That is the only thing that matters. The receipt that a payroll service prints for you means one thing. They know how to use a printer. It means nothing else. The only thing that means anything legally is that you go on the IRS website and confirm that your taxes are in order. Okay. So it, what I also hear you saying here is that it may not be an employee on your staff. You can be embezzled from outside sources as well, from some of your vendors. Sure. Okay. Sure. Right. You can be embezzled by vendors. Sure. Yeah, we, we have just a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that we talk about your book. Um, it's My Accountant's Drawers, The Small Business Owner's Guide to Outwitting Embezzlers, Thieves, and Scallywags, and that's coming out in the next few months. Tell us a little bit about the book and where people can find that. Well, if you go to myaccountantsdrawers.com, you will be able to find information. You can sign up and um, be notified when the book is is available. And I will be offering um, a pre-publication discount for people who would like to pre-order that. And I will tell you that it's easy for people to listen to us talk about, well, you should do this and you should do that. But the systems in this book make it very, very easy. Simple checklists, simple things for you to do and know I am hitting all the weak points in my business. I'm now aware of the simple things that I need to monitor very carefully and that no one else can monitor for me. But we make it very, very easy. I mean, I know that we're busy running businesses. You hire an accountant because you don't want to do the accounting. This book does not teach you to be an accountant. It teaches you to monitor your accounting, and that is critical. And just in in closing, if I can tell you, a lot of people say in small businesses, well, the accountant is my friend or maybe it's my sister-in-law or my best friend from high school. Friendship, faith, and even family are not accounting controls. They are relationships, and you must never confuse the two. If you value your family relationships, it is even more important that you have accounting controls in place so that there is no temptation that would destroy a relationship or there's no misperception of something that might be going on that really isn't that would destroy a relationship because you know what's going on because you look in your accountant's drawers, and so you know what is there. Absolutely, and that's a great point, that these controls are for the protection of your accountant or bookkeeper as much as they are a safeguard for you as the business owner. So any accountant or bookkeeper who would be irritated by these, that's a warning signal right there because they're actually supposed to be protecting that person as well. Absolutely, and any accounting or bookkeeping person worth their salt knows that these controls are in place to protect them. Just think, if if there are really no controls in your office and the ability to get to checks and to get into the computer and do certain things is not closely controlled, it's not only easy for someone to steal money, it's easy for someone to steal it and make it look like someone else did it. So a good accounting person knows these things protect somebody else, even even an unscrupulous business owner or partner or manager within a business, from committing a crime and making it look like I'm the one that did it. Those controls protect everyone. And I promise you that every minute you spend on controls that prevents you from having to undergo a federal investigation is is time well spent. Um, one of the primary things on my bucket list is to never again in my entire life 
be involved in anything that requires the personal attention of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Because although they were very helpful, having my own man in black on my speed dial is just <laughs> creepy on several different levels. And um, although, again, they were great, no criticism of them at all, it was two years of hell. I cannot yeah. tell you how difficult it is to go through something like this. And when it's somebody that you care about, the financial loss is almost secondary to the emotional trauma of knowing that someone sure. that you cared about and were close to did that to you. So, you know, a small investment in a book will will protect you from virtually all common accounting fraud. Yeah. And, again, you can go to myaccountantsdrawers.com and you can sign up for uh, the book and get a few tips as well. And you said you're offering a uh, pre-sale discount on the book if you sign up I now. will. I will. So if you sign okay. up, that will be posted. Just watch for that, and it will be posted. Okay, myaccountantsdrawers.com. Cheryl, you have been a wealth of information today. I hope our listeners take your advice and prevent them from having the same experience that you and so many other small business owners have had. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, and please be in touch. We will. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.